question for you as we get started. How do you view this book? If you were to sum up what is to be found in its pages, what would that one word be that you would use to describe what's in here? And if you were to sum up what you were supposed to do with it in one word, what would that word be? We're in a sermon series now about intimacy with God. The focus of our series is the fascinating story of God's encounter with his people at Mount Sinai after he's rescued them from Egypt. And it is not just a story of a chance encounter. As we've been discovering along the way, this is a story of God's initiative. His initiative in bringing his people to himself and drawing them near and inviting them to come near to him. His initiative in revealing himself and giving them glimpses of his character and his nature and his loving heart. And his initiative in making provision for them to be able to approach God in spite of the huge moral gap between them and God. So this morning we are exploring another dimension of God's initiative that comes through in this story. And that is his initiative in giving his people his word. So to explore this theme, we're actually going to go back and take another look at Exodus chapter 24, which we looked at last Sunday. Just a quick reminder that everything in Exodus chapter 24 that is unfolding in that part of the story is all about the covenant that God has with his people. And a covenant is just a commitment within the context of a relationship. You may remember we talked about this in the ancient world. There were two different kinds of covenants. The first kind of covenant is a deal. It's a deal between two equal partners, like two business associates. And then the second kind of covenant is a treaty. It's a treaty between two really unequal people, between a conquering king and a vanquished foe. And that's the kind of covenant that we see God making with his people at Mount Sinai. So in that kind of covenant, the king promises to himself and to his subjects that he will protect them and he will provide for them, and he will be present and available to them at cost to himself, and all his subjects need to do is to respond to him with gratitude by accepting his gracious provision for them and giving him their complete allegiance and seeking to live this sort of life that reflects well on him. You may remember that whenever a covenant was agreed upon, the same elements were always present. And what I want you to notice this morning is how many of these things have to do with things being written down and preserved in a, in a written form. Here are the five elements of an ancient treaty between a king and his subjects. The history of the relationship that these two parties have the expectations that are to be met by both parties as they enter into this covenant that's to be recorded, the benefits of keeping the covenant and the costs of failing to keep the covenant are also enumerated and written down. A copy of the covenant is given to each of the two parties, and then the covenant agreement is sealed by eating a covenant meal together. So let's come to Exodus chapter 24 again, and this time through, I'd like you to listen specifically to all the different references in this passage to God's word in its various forms. I had a friend about 30 years ago who uh, used to say word every time he wanted to say 
Boy, that is so true, which made for some really interesting conversations with my friend. Inter anyways, so if, if you want to, as I read through this, feel free to call out word every time you hear God's word mentioned in some form in this passage. Maybe it's in the form of his laws or his commands or his book or, or writing things down that he said. All right, Exodus chapter 24, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance. Moses alone is allowed to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. Well, when Moses went and told the people of all the Lord's words and laws... They responded with one voice, everything that the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything that the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 different tribes of Israel. And then he sent young Israelite men and they, burnt, they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. And then he took the Book of the Covenant, and he read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and he said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. Now, I just need to pause here. Yesterday, I made a visit to my favorite rock shop in the area, Vons, and I got a piece of lapis lazuli, because I know you're all so curious what it looks like. They're gorgeous rocks. I know we're going to have a meal after the worship service, but... I know if you want to form a long line up here to come up and see the lapis lazuli, you're welcome to do that. All right, going on. But God did not raise a hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate, and they drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments that I have written for their instruction. Wow, a lot of different references to the Word of God in that short passage of Scripture. We saw at the beginning the word word, which refers to the Ten Commandments. You see that word in chapter 20, verse 1. Law refers to all the other requirements that are unfolded for the people of God in uh, chapters 21, 22, and 23. We heard the expression, everything the Lord has said, three or four different times through this. The Book of the Covenant, all these words, laws, commandments. So what's between these covers? <coughs> if we were to take our cues just from Exodus chapter 24, I think we might be tempted to say that the Word of God is God's list of expectations. It's His list of regulations. And that we are supposed, what we are supposed to, to do with this is to obey. We're supposed to obey all of those regulations. And there are a whole lot of things that reinforce that basic way of thinking about the Bible as a list of rules that we are supposed to obey. We will do all these things that the Lord has said, the people of God say, in response to the word being given. 
So one of the things that reinforces that is actually informed by this very passage. This is this way of thinking about the Bible as primarily a collection of rules to be followed. It was the way that Jewish rabbis studied the Old Testament over the centuries, informed by this passage, wanting to be faithful to everything that God commanded. So they set out to identify and list every single one of the Bible's commandments. And they eventually arrived at a list of 613 rules, regulations, restrictions, and requirements in the Old Testament. So, Jimmy Pierce, would you come up here for a minute, please? I need your help. I thought it might be helpful for me to print this off. Timmy, do you mind hopping down there? Thank you. So, I just uh, printed off this uh, list of the rules. Would you mind just... <laughs> Still going. That's about 327. 492. Still going. All right. Thank you very much, Timmy. That's a lot of rules. Exactly. So, is that how you think of the Bible? A list of hundreds and hundreds of things we're supposed to do? Now, to be fair, a few of the things on there are the really big things, like loving God, praying, not stealing, not murdering. A number of them are repeats of other things on the list. Many of them are rules about religious rituals that the Israelites were supposed to carry out, such as number 347, which says, don't burn yeast or honey on the altar, or rule number 319, which forbids priests from wearing torn robes. And a lot of them are about very specific and particular things, like command number 494, which requires you to put up guardrails if you plan to spend a lot of time on your roof. And command number 185, which makes it a rule that you cannot eat maggots. Now why that one needed to be turned into a rule, I don't understand. Maybe that's for Tom Turpin. All right, so even so, even if we hang on to this entire list of 613 commandments, that list of commandments makes up only 2.5% of the Old Testament. And even less of the whole Bible. Far less, when we get to the New Testament, Jesus boils all of that down into two simple commands. Love God, love people. So what's all the other stuff that's in here? If this isn't just a collection of things to do, of expectations God puts in front of us, then what is it, and what am I supposed to do with it? Well, in some ways, and some of you probably caught this, the question that I asked you about Exodus 24, where you were saying word, was kind of a trick question. When I asked you to, to say word every time you heard God's word, because even though the passage mentions God's word six or seven times, the whole thing was his word, wasn't it? Not just the regulations, but the descriptions, the conversations, the invitations, all of that was God's word. 
Same thing as you step back and take a quick glance at this wider story we've been looking at from Exodus 19 through 34 about Moses and his people at Mount Sinai. Yes, that story includes the covenant stipulations, all the, the commands and the rules that God calls us to obey as his people. But those 16 chapters are not just a list of rules, far from it. We also have a record of how God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt and how he drew them to himself at Mount Sinai. We're given an account of how God revealed himself to Moses and his people on Mount Sinai through miraculous displays and supernatural visions. And we have a record of how God's people reacted to those revelations. We have a description of how God gave the covenant rules to his people and how God's people responded to them. We have an honest record of how God's people failed him and made an idol for themselves in Exodus 32. And we're given this amazing eyewitness account of how God passed before Moses on Mount Sinai and declared his heart toward his people. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and in faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Words that are quoted and are echoed all through the rest of the scriptures. In Numbers, in Nehemiah, three different places in the Psalms, in Joel, in Jonah, and even in John chapter 1. Yes, the Bible includes commands that we are called to obey. But so much more of it is made up of wisdom shared, truths told, promises held out, examples held up, redemptive acts remembered, cautionary tales recounted, Invitations to trust reiterated. Answers to prayer highlighted. Prayers to pray and songs to sing provided. Glimpses of God's nature and character recorded. The essence of God's heart captured and put on display. And God's promised Messiah introduced. All recorded and preserved for us at God's initiative. So God's word is a completely reliable collection of everything that God believes that we need to know about him and about us in order that we might enter into relationship with God, the relationship that he desires to have with us, the relationship for which we were made. That's what's between these covers. And what are we supposed to do with it? Well, many of you are aware that Psalm 119 is a psalm that's written specifically as a celebration of God's word. And in fact, a lot of it focuses on God's laws and his commands. Even so, what's fascinating as you go through that psalm, and it's an interesting exercise, you might enjoy doing this as a family. As you go through that psalm and you look at all the verbs that answer the question, what are we supposed to do with God's word? This is what we discover. Yes, we are called to obey it, to keep and follow it, to walk according to it. But we're also called to trust in it and to put our hope in it, to believe it, to gain understanding through it, to be strengthened by it, to be comforted and encouraged and preserved and sustained by the word of God. Because the word of God is so precious, we are called to seek it out, to meditate on it, to remember it, and as these kids gave us such a beautiful example of at the start of this message, to hide it in our hearts. The psalm invites us to delight in God's word, to find joy in God's word, to be in awe of God's word, 
to treasure God's Word and to love God's Word. Ultimately, the Bible is not just a list of rules to be obeyed. It is a portrait of God in which he makes himself known to us, given to us at his initiative, a gift to be received and responded to with joy. Think about this. What would we know about God apart from the scriptures? Hardly anything, right? Paul in Romans chapter 1 says that we might have a few intimations of God's existence and of his divine power, but really that's about it. Because God as creator transcends the world that he made and because God as spirit is invisible within the world that he made, we can only know about God what he graciously chooses to reveal to us. Everything we know about God is grounded in his revelation of himself in his word. The Bible is also God's love letter to his creation, by which he makes his heart known to us and invites us into relationship with himself, in which he says to us, I created you. I love you. I made you to be in relationship with me. I know the best way for you to live. Put your hope in me. Find your life in me. Give me your trust and give me your heart. And most important of all, the Bible is the place where God the Father introduces us to God the Son. The Word of God in written form is the way that we come face to face with the Word of God in human form. Jesus, the Word of God, the perfect expression of God's heart, who opens the way into the heart of the Father. We learn of His life, His ministry, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and what all those things mean for us when we give our hearts and our allegiance to him, we learn all of those things here from the pages of the scripture. <coughs> Seeing the Bible as a list of things to do, as a list of rules to obey, is not the path to life. As Jesus himself says in John chapter 5, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think they will give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. The word of God is not primarily God's expectations. It is God's invitation. Come, draw near, believe, trust, be made new, walk with me forever. That's why all through the ages, the Christian saints have emphasized how crucial it is that we know the scriptures in order to grow in intimacy with God. That's why we as a church spend such a big chunk of every Sunday morning teaching the Bible and, and seeking faithfully to interpret it and to apply it to our lives and why so many groups meet throughout the week to study the Bible. And that's why we encourage every one of you, as part of God's call, to love him with the whole of your heart and mind, to spend time reading the Bible every day as part of your personal worship. What's between these covers? Not rules and regulations, not expectations, not chiefly, but invitations. And what are we to do with it? To say yes, to accept the invitation, to let it lead us straight to Jesus, who makes a way for us straight into relationship with the Father. That we would put our feet on this path, and allow it to lead us straight up to the mountain 
in ever deepening intimacy with God. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Lord God, we are in ever-deepening awe as we walk through these, these portions of Scripture and are reminded at the initiative that you've taken to wait, make yourself known to us. Thank you that you called us. Thank you that you draw us. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us. Thank you that you invite us into relationship with you. Thank you that you make that relationship possible in order that we might walk through life with you to experience the way that you are alive, that you are here, bringing your light into our darkness, moving in our midst all the time, at every turn, seen or unseen. So Lord, for the gift of this word that opens up the gift of you, we give you our praise and our thanks, and we give you our hearts and our lives. Continue, Lord, to make the way deeper and deeper into your heart. We pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.